0: As they're leaving, I'm going to say a word of prayer and we transition over to our next part of the service. Father, I thank you for our families. I thank you for our children. Thank you for the thrills of watching them grow up, watching them accomplish things, watching them learn the scriptures, seeing them become believers. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to use this facility on Tuesday nights, have a ministry into so many children's lives. Thank you for your word, and we pray that we may be drawn closer to you even as we move forward now. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to say that there were at least uh, two salvations of, of girls in T during the Iwana school year. And we had three uh, that were baptized uh, here not too long ago from that same uh, general age group. And so we are so thankful for that. Every week when we gather together, we collect an offering from the children for Adopt-A-Club. And uh, they brought in over $240 of offerings over the course of Awana that helps support Awana Clubs in Peru and in India. When pastor asked me uh, if I would uh, preach today, and he said, now, it may be less than a normal preaching time because of the Iwana closing. And I thought, well, not like I'm going to preach the whole Bible through in one day. And then I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I could preach the whole Bible through in 20 minutes. That would be awesome. And so, fasten your seatbelt. I'm going to talk faster than an auctioneer on energy drinks, but we're going to go... <laughs> through the Bible. We're going to open up starting at the beginning, we're going to end at the end, and I'm focusing this on there are certain moments that change everything. There is a history book at the public library that I've read. The title of the book is 1493, and not all of the changes that happened were good, but the world changed in 1493. People ate foods that they didn't know existed before, and were exposed to different languages that they never heard before and viruses that they had never known before as well. And there are moments of your life that change everything. One of the most important days of your whole life is the day you're born. And some of you know that just a few seconds of, of an event that happens at your birth could alter the rest of your life. Moving to a new house, to a new school. Like our family went through a major change this year and it affects everything in the future. Meeting a new friend could be destructive or it couldn't be your soulmate. But meeting somebody can change everything. Starting a new job, and I could have added in there, getting fired. Okay, all of those things can change everything from the rest of your life. Your wedding day. And I remember... By the way, Amy and I are celebrating 20 years this month of our marriage. And when we left to go on our honeymoon, the first phase of our honeymoon was in St. Petersburg. And I remember getting on the interstate at a place where we don't normally get on the interstate to go west. And so because we don't get there, go there normally, every time I go on the interstate to go west from exit 31, I think of that On our way to our honeymoon, you know, just relive that moment. Adding children to your family. I remember when I was either mowing or raking hay in a field called the goat pasture, and I saw my brother drive by with a new baby, and I thought, this is going to change everything. And it was kind of a reset for our family after a lot of bad things that we would happen. Now we had a new baby, and everything's going forward. You know that one phone call can change everything. Somebody died. Somebody got hurt. Somebody got in a crash. One word from a doctor, change everything for the rest of your life. Being born again as a child of God, that might seem a little out of sequence from everything else that's in there, but you're surrounded today by hundreds of people whose life is forever changed after they found Jesus. And you know, the the writer from, from Bill Massey's generation, he, they, he said, Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. Things are different now. I was changed. It must be when I gave my heart to him. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to him. And if you didn't know that song, you might know the other song that the same guy wrote. I'm so happy and here's the reason why. I Sing it. Jesus yeah, he took your burdens all away. Isn't that amazing? Looking at the very first slide, I guess that's up to me here now. I had everything else up there. But starting in the beginning, that's a good place to start. God created the heavens and the earth. Without question, we teach around here from the Bible that we have a creator. And from the rest of the scripture, we know that that creator is also all wise. He is all good. Then at the end of Genesis chapter 1, we read this line. So God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. From this very first chapter of the Bible we understand what we call in big language the sanctity of human life. It's different from all other creation. We are made in the image of God. And these two verses from chapter 1 are under attack in our culture and we need to understand that the Bible is true in these statements. Here's the 12-second version of the six days of creation. God said, I just created 24-hour periods of darkness and light. I'm going to call it a day. (laughs) The next day, he separated the water below from the water above. And it was some kind of a stretching out, at least of our atmosphere, And probably even beyond that, within the universe. The next day, God separated the land from the water, and on that land, He He placed all of the plants in the whole world, and all to reproduce after their kind. The next day, He filled the dark spaces with lights. The next day, He filled the water and the skies with animals, and the next day, He filled the land with animals and with humans. And he gave an instruction to those first two humans to fill the earth, have dominion, which means to maximize the usefulness of God's creation for our own good and for his glory. And we are still discovering how to make something of this planet that God has given to us. The second big thing that happened was the sin of Adam and Eve. We read in Genesis 3:6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And we see this pattern of sin that happens repeatedly throughout the ages ever since. Eve saw the fruit. She desired the fruit. She took the fruit. And then she involved other people. You see the same thing with Achan. He saw some flashy clothes and some money and he took it. And then he involved other people. David saw Bathsheba. He desired Bathsheba. He took Bathsheba. And he involved other people. One huge example, a different thing that happened, though it's jumping ahead in the story. But one day Jesus was hungry after 40 days of not eating and he saw what would be good, but he did not take it. Okay, so Jesus is different from the pattern of sin that we know about. We see what happens here is that it was the sin of disobedience from Adam and Eve. And we understand then that we take sin too lightly because we don't take God seriously. I wonder if I were to poll the people in this room, what is the worst sin that you have ever committed? Or if I asked you, what is the least significant sin that you have ever done? I wish That the worst sin I have ever done was to eat a piece of fruit. It doesn't seem that serious, but it was. Disobeying God is serious, whether it seems like something big or something small. And we look at the results of what happened because of Adam and Eve's sin, it brought death to the world, it brought a curse to creation. It brought pain and childbirth. It brought friction about male and female roles. But it also, as God encountered Adam and Eve after their sin, it also gives us the first glimpse of the gospel of Jesus because God said there will be a son born to a woman that will make things right. How much did sin affect other people? Let me read to you from Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It was bad. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When we get to Genesis chapter 7, which is on your screen, so he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah And those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Sometimes you'll hear somebody talking about something that happens on the earth that was of biblical proportions. But biblical proportions in this case was a natural disaster in which only eight people in the entire world survived. When we see what's going on in the time of the flood, sin and violence filling the earth, God destroyed the earth with a flood and God made one way of salvation, which is kind of another glimpse of God's plan and God's mercy, that he he saved those eight humans and representatives of animals on the ark. The flood changed everything. So we're thinking about that theme Sometimes especially if you're new to the faith and you see, you hear us talking about how all of these events that happen from creation till now fit into such a short period of time and yet we're trained to think in longer periods of time but while scientific theory often takes a position that the earth is much older rarely if ever do scientists consider the catastrophic effect that the flood had on the earth. I'm telling you that once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so I encourage you to, to make yourself available to those resources like Answers in Genesis, Creation Research Institute, that do such a good job of explaining those things that we see around our world. The next event that I want to point out is... God said those words as recorded in Genesis chapter 12, and they have never been revoked. And they are just as true today as they were the day that God said them to Abraham. About 120 years after the flood, there was the Tower of Babel. That probably deserved its own slide, but we don't have time for everything. From that time, the languages and the ethnic groups begin to disperse across the world. And in Genesis chapter 12 we see that one of those ethnic groups gets set apart by God to put his name on those people. Some people have argued that the greatest proof of God is the fact that Jewish people still exist today. And you go to all those ancient civilizations that are long gone, the Jews were there with all of them. They've been there ever since. The other thing I want you to, to notice that maybe you haven't, I don't know if this shows up on the camera how much you zoom in on this, But I'm holding in one hand here everything from Genesis 1 to Genesis 12. That was 2,000 years. From Genesis 12 to the end of the Bible is 2,000 years. And since the Bible was completed until now is about 2,000 years. We're approaching the year 2030, which is most likely the 2,000 year anniversary of crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. We can't die for that belief that it was that year. It was give or take a couple of years. But we're right there. We're just about to the 2,000 year mark since Jesus died and rose again. Understanding the call of Abraham helps us understand the rest of the Bible in context. It was through Abraham that the Savior would come. And then as time goes along, God gives us more details. It will be from Isaac, not Ishmael. It will be from Jacob, not Esau. It will be from Judah, not the other 11 brothers. And then later, it will be from David's family. And it will, he will be born of a virgin. And he will be born in Bethlehem. And by the time you get to the New Testament, all of those things take shape. Abraham followed God when God called him from his home in Iraq. They called it Mesopotamia or the Chaldees, but Iraq fits nicely on my screen. Abraham was promised land, and that land actually is from the Nile River to the Euphrates River. And that land has never been fully possessed by Israel, not even during the days of Solomon, but one day it will be. But God promised a seed the descendants of Abraham and a blessing to anyone who blesses Abraham, but also that from his family, all the world would be blessed and that Savior would come from Abraham. I said that there are 2,000 years that happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 12, but the rest of Genesis from chapter 12 through chapter 50 is just three generations of people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. 400 years later, when you get to the end of Genesis and you flip over to Exodus, just want you to, just to to feel that, I flipped the page from Genesis to Exodus. 400 years just happened. There's one other place in the Bible where that's very significant as well, and that's from Malachi to Matthew. Four hundred years takes place. That's a lot of time. It was four hundred years ago that the Mayflower landed in Plymouth Rock. You know, so if you're reading a history book and like, well the, the, the Mayflower landed in Plymouth Rock, yada yada yada. Here's the United States, strongest military power in the world, and you're like you can't yada yada yada. That what's well, I mean, that's that's a lot something happened big there, you know. Or and to really put it in context with Egypt is you have these this ethnic group of people that land on a Mayflower. And 400 years later, the Native Americans were thinking, they're going to take us over here pretty soon if we don't do something about it. And that's really the con- the, what was happening in Egypt, is 400 years later, 70 people had turned into 2 million people, and the leadership in Egypt felt threatened by them. And, but God was going to work all of this into his plan God came to Moses and said, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Israel now a nation. God sent plagues, miracles, saved nation out of Egyptian slavery. And for the next thousand years, if you were a Jewish person and somebody asked you, What God do you serve? You would say, I serve the God who brought, Israel through the Red Sea out of Egypt. And it would almost be an intimidating statement like, oh, you serve that God. (laughs) That's pretty a big God. You know, now I want you to know that we have something even better now. Somebody asks you, what God do you serve? You can say, I serve the God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the God I serve. You know, nobody can uh, top that one. And God used Moses raised up in the palace of Egypt when handwriting was just becoming a thing, that God used Moses to put those first five books into the Bible. And it was also through Moses that God set up that system of sacrifices that were used in the tabernacle and the temple. And it was really the first time since Eden that there is a designated place on earth for God to meet. And what you don't really know until you get to the book of Hebrews is that that whole tabernacle was a model of the real throne room of God that's in heaven. And we know that Jesus, when he died, he did not enter just into the model of the throne room of heaven, but he actually entered into the real heaven. Now there's a lot of pages between Moses, and what comes next. The establishment of the David kingdom would be a big one. That's about halfway between Abraham and Jesus. But let me tell you about my Jesus. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. When Jesus came to earth, born miraculously to a virgin, died as a substitute for the guilty because he himself was not guilty, then came alive again, bringing hope to all those who put their trust in him. Then he went to heaven, promising that he would return again. And I know this deserves The Holy Spirit deserves his own slide here. But I can see the clock. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to indwell believers and to guide the church. And a big difference because in Israel, the temple was there in Jerusalem. And the call of God was for the whole world to go to Jerusalem and worship him. But now, the temple of God is the Holy Spirit present in us. And now he tells the temple to go into the whole world. And that's our mission is for us to go into the whole world and tell the message of Jesus. It might seem like too much to call all of those things on the screen right there as one event. That's the first coming of Jesus. And it was very common in my preaching uh, calendar that from Christmas to Easter, I would preach the life of Christ. But here's my perspective on this. Amy and I dated for 18 months. We were engaged for a year and 10 days. And every day was glorious. We saw each other every day. We kissed each other every day. And yet, looking back now, 20 years ago, it starts to get a little blurry. It seems like it was such a short time. At that time, it seemed so long, like... When is our wedding day ever going to get here? You know, that's the one year where you pray, "Jesus, don't come back yet." You know, I want to get married first, you know. So and then the first 10 years of our marriage was the years of little children. And those days were full of life and excitement, but now looking back it's like, "Do you remember that really cute thing that one of our kids did? Which one was it?" You know, it just kind of blurs into those were our toddler years, and now we're in our teenage years. And someday we will look back and feel the same way. I've never subscribed to the idea that the teen years would be something to be dreaded and something to be horrible. and we, love, we are loving our teenage years and seeing the things that our kids are accomplishing. But I know enough that someday we're going to look back At those teen years, and it's gonna just seem like a phase. Alan Schwartz was saying how exciting it was to be working in a WANA with these young children when his youngest grandchild is 18. Did I get that story right? And in the same way, I can say that the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus was one event in the whole scope of history. Jesus came, he did his mission. And he went back to heaven. And now here we are looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus, we we use this phrase, Jesus is coming back, to refer to any of these three events. The rapture of the church, we say Jesus is coming. Or the return of Jesus to at the end of the tribulation, and we say Jesus is coming. To understand the Bible correctly, it's helpful to know the difference between these two events. At the rapture of the church, the church disappears. But at the return of Jesus, Jesus appears. At the rapture of the church, we meet Jesus in the air. But when Jesus comes back to earth at the end of the tribulation, he sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives. The rapture of the church, Jesus is coming for the church. But here, Jesus is coming with the church. The rapture takes place in the blink of an eye. I would snap my fingers, but I don't know how. (laughs) At, At the return of Jesus, every eye in the world will see him. The rapture of the church could happen today. The return of Jesus to earth cannot happen until at least May 1st, 2029. Okay, because there's a seven-year period in the Bible that hasn't happened yet. So you say, well, if there's, so the rapture of the church technically has no signs for it at all, but there are many signs about the return of Christ. And so we think, well, well, how can you say that you can see signs of the rapture if there are none? So I illustrate it this way, and, and Mr. Paul, I'll ask you, just the first answer that comes to the top of your head, in what month do stores start to decorate for Christmas? June, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if I start to see Christmas decorations showing up in the stores, I can know that Thanksgiving is coming. Because Thanksgiving comes before Christmas. And so when we see all the signs of the earth that, well, all these things are coming together, not only are they signs of the return of Christ, but we also know that the rapture happens first. There are two very specific, detailed passages in the Bible about the rapture. There are over a hundred references about the second coming of Christ. We as believers, we are not sitting around waiting for the end of the earth. We are here waiting for the beginning of a marriage. Jesus is coming and it will be a wedding day for his church. Sum up everything there. Believers meet Jesus in the air. The Antichrist gains power on earth. The real Christ returns to earth to reign then when Christ comes to reign, there is a 1,000-year period of him being reigning, but he reigns forever. And after that 1,000 years is completed and other things that are prophesied, a new heaven and a new earth are formed. All believers live forever with no sin and no sickness and no pain and no death, and all non-believers suffer forever without God." Seven events that changed everything, the creation God created man, but then man sinned against God. The flood only eight people survived, and the whole surface of our earth today just meets that description. but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. A thousand years after Eden, God caved Abraham. 400 years after Genesis, God came to Moses. Then the first coming of Jesus. And then the second coming of Jesus. I can't quite aim it up there. Where are we today? If, you know, if you're on, traveling on the interstate and you pull into the rest area and you see the map and you see a little star with arrow saying, You are here. And you are here in between number six and number seven. We are here between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And the scripture teaches us that our life, our, that is measured in decades, is just a mist, a vapor, a dot on a map. Seventy years when one psalmist was writing was the life expectancy. And he said, even if you live to be 80, it's probably going to be marked by pain. It is an act of mercy that the second coming of Jesus has not happened yet. Because God is giving us a chance to understand that the whole Bible is the truth. And in this scripture we learn who Jesus is. And we learn that if you put your trust in him, your sins are forgiven. And that eternal life is a sure thing. We have a men's Bible study that meets on Monday morning. And one day I asked how many people here have been saved in the last ten years. And three of them raised their hand. And I said if if the second coming of Jesus had happened twenty years ago, Those three men would be lost and suffering forever without God. But God was merciful enough that he has waited until 2022 to return. We are not here today just for the fun of it. We are here because it's true. We know our creator. We know our savior. And we're waiting for his return and we want you to know him as well. Two scriptures to close out the day. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You get to the end of the Bible, and it's logical. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. We exist here today not for our every night of a wanna Club For our worship services, we want you to know and love and worship Jesus. It is through Him that you receive salvation, forgiveness of sin, and eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving to us the scriptures, helping us understand the perspective. You are great, you are eternal. You set all of this in motion. Even though we as humans sinned against you as created in your image, you still loved us and you have made a way for us to be rescued from the sin that we have gotten ourselves into. We thank you that our forgiveness is complete, that you look at me today as someone who is as righteous as Jesus. And I pray that everyone in this room would also know for sure that they have placed their faith in Jesus that he is worthy of being trusted, that when he died, he died to pay for our sins. And when he rose, he rose in victory over death. And we don't have to be afraid of the future. We don't even have to be afraid of death because of the eternal life that you have given to us. Thank you that we can worship you and celebrate that truth now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to sing, please.